Hello, everybody. My name's Hamish, your long-suffering Essendon supporter, joined as always by Amos, uh, the up-and-about Hawthorne supporter, and this is a special edition of the Line in the Sand podcast. Um, Tonight, we're talking about the AFL's recent Hall of Fame, but more importantly, we're announcing the first inductees into the Line in the Sand Hall of Fame. How are you today, Amos? It's a huge night, Hamish. I'm going well. This Mm -hmm. is... uh... Red carpet, media street outside my place. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Bla- black tie. Um, right. uh, yeah, I have to say, you're looking very debonair in your yeah, look. It's it's a serious event, and it's um only going to grow year on year. So we had to get dressed up for it. Correct. Next year we mm-hmm. might uh yeah sit down to a morning suit, and then down to just slacks and a shirt, and then chinos, and then tracky decks. After yep. the five years, I think that's probably the way to go, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, oh well, you know, we might we might have to walk the red carpet and be interviewed on the way in and next year as we um oh, announce goodness. the whole yeah. Uh, look, we may have to look at the Chubb security guards just to make sure the boats <laughs> are kept um under lock and key before they're announced as well. Uh, this is true. It's uh it'd be a fully constituted board meeting of the line of the set. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> With all commissioners present. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're getting a little bit off track already and we haven't even started. Um, before we get to um, talking about our own Hall of Fame, let's let's um, pay our respects to those that um, were acknowledged. Um, it was a week or so back from the time we recorded this. Um, uh, they were acknowledged for their, um, you know, contributions to the game of Aussie rules football. Um, some played VFL, some played AFL, some were from interstate um making a name for themselves in their home leagues. Uh, let's start with um, Russell Ebert, uh, you know, from South Australia, who has been elevated to the Hall of Fame. Um, um, what do you know about this and what do you know about Russell? Port Adelaide Royalty, I think, is a mm. fair description for Russell Ebert. So, yes. Uh, in a career that started over 50 years ago, um, mm. he's uh, been a Port legend for decades. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you yeah. know, Four McGarry medals, six best and fairest club record for games, 29 state games. Can you believe it? On top yeah. of his club games, that's amazing. Um, and at a time when state games were highly sought, uh, three premierships for Port, which probably doesn't sound many considering how many some players like Greg Phillips have won. However, yeah. uh, still no mean feat. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing career just off that paragraph in the bio alone. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he passed away not long ago um, mm. at the relatively young age of 72. Uh, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, much loved. And uh, the Ebert name carried on by Brad and Brett yep. over the last couple of decades mm. uh, for Port uh, certainly uh, enabled us from Victoria to um, get an insight into their I think, father and uncle. I think that's the relationship. Mm. Yeah. Can't remember which is which, though. But um, yeah. Uh, amazing player from all reports. Uh, yes, um, and uh, well-deserved, I would have thought, given, um, like you said, the length of his career and um, just all, looking at all the stati- statistics. Obviously, um, given that we were born in the early 80s, he played before our time, so we didn't get to um, see him live, but um, the, the elite output that he put um on week on week over many years um, would have been a joy to watch. Oh, I believe so. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as much as I uh, 
look forward to the day that Jason Dunstall's made a legend of the uh, AFL and Michael Tuck for that matter. Um, Russell Ebert certainly deserves to um, just across uh, yeah, four McGarry medals, obviously the South Australian equivalent of the, the Brownlow. Uh, that's, that's, that's amazing in itself considering uh, we look at some of our triple Brownlow medalists as the absolute pinnacle. Um, yeah, that's, that's a huge achievement individually yeah. on top of everything else. So there. Um, next up we have, um, yeah, so, um, Russell was the only one elevated to legend status. So let's look at each of the hall of fame inductees now, um, starting with, uh, Tasmanian football royalty in Terry Cashin. Yes. Terry Cashin. Um, <laughs> interesting, the, uh, the buyer from on the AFL starts off with long before the best footballers in the land played in a national competition, uh, crisscrossing the country to play each other every week. The Australian National Football Carnival games were those to savour. Harks back to a little bit of what we were talking about with Russell Ebert and the Mm. state games, but um, this is where Terry Cashin made his name. Um, They are a feature every year, the carnivals, um, and the best players in the country has travelled to one city over a 10-day period to play. So that's where you made your name Mm. um, for every state. Um, (laughs) Interesting. In 1950, the carnival was held in Brisbane as part of a massive 15,000 pound investment by the game's body to grow the game in a developing market. Mm, they've tried to grow the game there and <laughs> 72 years later, they still don't have um, a huge fan base across Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Still, still failing miserably, yeah. but you know, you've got to give it a go, I suppose. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So in that uh, carnival, Tasmania won one out of four games, but Terry Cashin was voted player best player of the carnival, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I remember uh, vaguely Horry Gorridge, I think, getting into the AFL Hall of Fame, and everybody going, "Who's who the yeah. hell is this guy called Horry?" Um, but uh, mm-hmm. a, a great rival, Cashin's and teammate in the Tasmanian teams, uh, because those two are, are slated as the two best rovers to come out of the yeah. state of all time, um, and uh, yeah. Brilliant yeah. and scrupulously fair mm. is the description. Yeah, I think the um, obviously you know he played in the fifties a little bit before my time, but um, the highlight for me reading his bio was that um, you know he won a best and fairest for Clarence in nineteen forty six, and then uh, over the next seven seasons at a number of different clubs he won the best and fairest wherever he played. So obviously um, he was um, able to dominate. Um, across the board and um, in many teams over an extended period of time. And um, clearly that alone shows that he was um, that alone on top of um, the best performance in that 1950 carnival um, shows why he was deserved, deservedly elevated to um, hall of fame status. Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, the statement from his daughter sums it up when she says he was a gentleman he was humble and very kind, thoughtful person. And he always said the glories that he received weren't his. Mm. Uh, they were his teammates. And I think that, uh, that's something I'd love to go down with in any team that I play in. Yeah. But uh, not sure I'll ever achieve that. No, not, not quite the same playing cricket at your local club around the corner. Oh, just not the same humility. and no. humble. <laughs> <laughs> Probably go a yeah. long way towards that. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean there. Um <laughs> Next up, uh, someone, um, anyone following football currently would have heard a bit um, 
more about. Uh, we're looking at um, Bill Dempsey and his induction into the Hall of Fame. Yes, so Bill was the face of uh, Sir Doug Nichols' rounds uh, a month or so ago, uh, and uh, gave a great speech on Hall of, on the Hall of Fame coverage, um, talking about its time in uh, as part of the stolen generation, um, mm. one of Australia's darkest uh, moments in history, um, mm. and um, yeah, the fact that he's able to come from a, a boys' home environment. Um, yeah. WA make it in the big time as the waffle would have been for yeah. West Australians um, in those days. Um, you know, uh, is a testament to his uh, ability, no doubt, and courage. Um, you know, three hundred forty-three games for West Perth, which is the second most in waffle history, um, and played for the Darwin Buffaloes. Estimated uh, one hundred and forty for the Darwin Buffaloes. So, yeah, so nearly five hundred games of football. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Mm. So measuring 187 centimetres was at West Perth as a centre-half forward. Um, but uh, estimated that once he got to West Perth, he might have played three games in that position. So interesting uh, little snippet there. Um, but um, he told a great story on Hall of Fame night about his uh, uh, Simpson medal uh, that he won, or Sandov medal, one of the mm. two. Uh, took it home to his mum, who kept it proudly. Um, and then it got lost. And uh, somehow, thanks to Cyclone Tracy, it turned up in Outback, South Australia. Mm. Uh, so amazing, one that it was found, and two, that's how far it went, thanks to the Cyclone. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I think the measure of a lot of players from the Waffle, the SANFL, and the TFL um, is summed up in this comment. He could have gone to Victoria and been a good player. Mm. Um, and I don't mean to say that Victoria was the... It was always seen as the best. Doesn't necessarily mean as it was, but um, I think a lot of those uh, players in that era, um, had they come across and done well, they were seen as very high achievers in those days. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, next up, we have um, uh, Mike Fitz- Fitzpatrick. He was also inducted into Hall of Fame. Yes, former AFL commissioner. Mm-hmm. Well known to most of us in our generation more as that than his previous playing career. But, um, you know, he's a three-time premiership player with Carlton. So, obviously, um, and could captain. play the game as well as be a great administrator for the game. Correct. Uh, and possibly the only footballer ever uh, currently, and I can't see any more doing the same during their career as a Rhodes Scholar. Mm-hmm. Um Certainly not some of the Collingwood players at the current. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure they'll be accepted into uh, Oxford University, but mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, uh, he was a great player. I remember he, there's a great highlight of him on uh, the Electrifying 80s uh, uh, video or DVD. I think he was one of the only players pinged for time wasting mm-hmm. in a game, trying to you know uh, save time, obviously. And the umpire pinged him, and I think they lost the game off the back of it because the other team yeah. went down and kicked the goal. It might have been against the Bombers, possibly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a great Ruckman, uh, Premiership captain, as we just talked about, Rhodes Scholar, um, and great administrator who's seen the game through many issues, good and bad. Um, you may, I don't know, how, how do you see him given the Essendon saga that he was, uh, I guess, in charge of in part? Mm. Uh, but um, 
you know, put that aside. Well, not so much put that aside, but sometimes uh, you can only do what you can do with the information you're given. And yeah. things are outside of your control sometimes with uh, larger look, bodies involved. It, it's a bigger conspiracy than just him, but we're not here to talk about how hard done by the Essendon Football Club is. Um, I, the, the, the A funny story that um, I've heard about Fitzpatrick um, was um, what happened to him in, I think it was 1978, Alex Jezelenko had just become coach of the Carlton Football Club. And um, after arriving late for a game in the seniors that he actually played well in um, pre-game, Jezelenko told him, well, you know, you're late. You haven't turned up. You're obviously not interested. I'm putting you back in the reserves for the rest of the year until you prove <laughs> yourself that um, you care about this club. And, um, you know, I'm paraphrasing there, obviously, but yeah. True to his word, even though Fitzpatrick did have a good game, he played the rest of the, that year in the reserves. Yeah. Mm. And and then that was his his uh, moment where he sort of got himself on track, I think. Mm. Because from 79 onwards, um, yeah. yeah, he had uh, a, a great sphere of influence at the club. Yeah. So, um, yeah, including those premierships that we talked about. Mm. And, yeah, he, he's on the record as saying that after that year he had – the best um, preseason of his life and um, was the fittest he'd ever been. Uh, and we all know that the powerhouse that um, Carlton was in the early eighties, thankfully yeah. more before my time. So I didn't have to live through it. <laughs> exactly right. Me too. However, we did see them in 87, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but I like his comment here where he says, I think I was the last of the short Ruckman uh, because as we know, Ruckman now well over 200 centimeters, um, seven feet tall and uh, Ruckman back in the eighties were lucky to be six foot three or six foot four. Mm. Um, some even just nudging six foot in certain yeah. cases. Um, so yeah. So it's um, amazing how things have developed over 40 years. Yeah. Uh, next up we have um, six time Norwood best and fairest winner premiership captain, Michael Taylor. Yeah. He gave a pretty good speech on the night. Um mm-hmm. He has six sisters, would you believe? Imagine growing up in that household. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he actually, oh, I love this story, uh, and it's it's set up here in the uh, in the bio where it says a letter was forwarded to the parents of Michael Taylor, only boy of seven children on the family farm, running six thousand sheep and eight hundred head of cattle, inviting him up to the Big Smoke in Adelaide to complete his schooling, start in the junior ranks, and have the opportunity to become another great of this club's proud SANFL history. Parents Kathleen and Stan considered the letter, and while young Michael was exceptionally keen to go to the club he supported from afar, mm. they ultimately said no. He was 13. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that just shows how good he was as a kid, that Norwood were uh, very interested to get him down from the country to uh, to uh, become part of their club. And uh, obviously, eventually, he did go down uh, a year or two later um, and uh, yeah, spawned a great career. Uh, yes, uh, and it was only two years later that he headed down there, so he didn't have to wait too long. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I, I can only imagine as a 13-year-old boy if you're told that you're going to be good enough and suddenly your parents are saying, no, it would have been a pretty um, argumentative dinner table that evening, I would have thought. Can you? Yeah, can you imagine the, uh, you know, having to trot off to bed that night knowing your parents have... Uh, Ruined your life. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, I don't know how I would be. there'd be no yeah. sleep that night for sure. Yeah. So I would have been climbing out the window and seeing which of the paddock fences I could jump over mm. and uh, 
you know, see how he got on from there. But um, evidently he didn't, and yeah. uh, he's probably better for it, to be honest. Uh, yeah, and he did come over to Victoria. Um, you know, he played 289 games for Norwood between 1972 and 1980 and 1985 to 87. But between 1981 and 84, he did play 94 games for Collingwood and kicked 28 goals, um, represented South Australia 13 times and um, six-time best and fairest, nine-time SA Team of the Year, and he's, as well as now being in the AFL's Hall of Fame, he's um, a Hall of Fame legend of the Norwood FC um, or the Norwood Football Club. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just some amazing names coming up against the jewel- the jewels that he fought, you know, against Ebert, who have talked about mm-hmm. uh, Corn, Graham Corns. Um, yeah, the SANFL would have been a great watch through the 70s and 80s, I think. Names like Blight, Corns, Ebert, Taylor going around. Yeah, it would have been amazing. So, uh, Next up, um, we have Ted Tyson from WA. Ted Tyson, amazing goal kicker from WA, mm-hmm. pre-World uh, War II. Um, kicked over 1,200 goals in not many more than 200 games. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to bring up his, uh, there we go, 232 games um, with 1,203 goals and an average of 5.25 a game. Um, that's Hudson-like, and that's yeah. absolutely amazing. Uh, mm. 1,203 goals at five five a game, that is yeah. freakish. Uh, when you can think uh, there's a war in the middle of that career, uh, yeah. some of the conditions you'd be playing in, uh, just, yeah, he would have been a freak. Yeah, and um, I think reading through his bio, in there was a game in 1938. Um, his team lost, but he kicked 17 of his team's 18 goals in that game. <laughs> it's Coleman-esque. Maybe we yeah. should change the Coleman medal to the Tyson. The Tyson, but no, we'll leave it as the Coleman medal. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but, you know, he of, of his career, six seasons with more than 100 goals and... 11-time leading goal kicker for his own club, as well as four-time waffle leading goal kicker. It's, um, uh, you know, you know, it would have been a great um, thing to see him play, given how prolific he was in front of goal. It would have been exciting to watch. Um, but, you know, it's clearly obvious from the statistics alone why, he's, why he has been elevated to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and amazingly, uh, according to his son, stood at 177 centimetres, which mm. is... Uh, yeah, we think uh, it's only 10 centimetres taller than Brent Harvey. Mm. So, yeah, that's um, amazing. So he, he would have yeah. been an absolute freak to watch. Now we'll move to a few players that we've actually seen play, so not before <laughs> our time. Um, Nicky Winmar, Saints legend, um, now inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Neil Elvis Winmar. I was actually surprised uh, that he had been inducted already. Mm. Um, yeah, he was a great player. Um, yeah. Most famous possibly for his um, stance in, against racism, particularly out at Victoria yeah. Park with the photo taken by Wayne Ludby. Um, there's a great podcast called, uh, that was the, the greatest season that was 1993, um, which details uh, over 20 or 25 episodes, uh, a lot of the great stories of that particular season. Um, and the Nicky Winmar story and, and that uh, incident out of Victoria Park certainly gets mm. a good run 
Um, uh, yeah, an amazing, amazing player. Um, troubled, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, certainly had his issues coming across from WA. Uh, could well have been part of the West Coast Eagles inaugural side, mm. but was cut by the Eagles in 1987. Um, mm. And I'm pretty sure most St Kilda players, uh, supporters are very happy that they're very happy that, 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 that happened. So. Yes. Correct. So, um, and was also one of the first players to be perhaps poorly advised by player managers. So Peter Jess uh, tried to get St Kilda to stump up extra cash on his contract and um, in, 19, in the 1990s or late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, Nicky Wimmer was sort of a party to that. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it didn't really go anywhere. And, um, yeah, and then he, obviously player management now has grown to be a huge industry in its own right. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, he was one of the initial ones who had one and things didn't go down too well when uh, St Kilda uh, stood their ground and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, said they weren't going to pay him extra money. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, he stayed at the Saints for the period of time, finished up at the Bulldogs, would you believe? So, yeah, he uh, played, um, yeah, he played a full season there, 21 games in 99. Um, yeah. it was, um, yeah, look, it was probably an inauspicious end to his time at, um, St Kilda, uh, as you said, um, as a troubled player, he had his discipline issues and, um, when, um, I think it was Watson took over from Al's at that time, he, um, despite having a year to go on the contract, they decided that it was time to um, uh, invite him to seek success elsewhere. And um, he still had a relatively good season at um, the Bulldogs in 99, showing his talent. Um, 21 games for 34 goals um, at the end of your career is still um, an incredibly um, good output and um, one that you can be proud of. Yeah. Oh, he was he was amazing to watch. I remember mm. going out to Waverley to watch Hawthorne and St Kilda um, back in the nineties, and um, certainly that was one of the reasons you went was to what's mm. Wimar going to go going to do today, and how are him and Lockett in the early nineties yeah. going to yeah you know, are we going to be able to quell them to to get the victory and, and whatnot? Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a great duo. Yeah, like you though, I was probably a bit surprised that he hadn't like. I, I just assumed he'd already been inducted into the Hall of Fame given his talent, but um, mm. I guess it was just a matter of time and uh, well-deserved and he's there now. Yeah, exactly right. And mm. uh, yeah, I think he, you can't call him a pioneer for his stance up at Victoria Park, but certainly mm. that incident and, and that photo uh, probably started the story. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and obviously the Michael Long, Damien Monkhurst incident a couple of yeah. years later, um, you know, really pushed it along. And uh, and I think because of those incidents, uh, a lot of uh, certainly football and a lot of society is probably in a better place. Mm. So, yeah, a decent legacy. Absolutely. And um, he will be well remembered. Uh, next up, Brent Harvey, AFL Games record holder with 432 games. Yes. He was the most annoying. I used to hate playing North Melbourne when he was playing. Yeah. I would hope that someone would take a line in the sand and knock him out every time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was equally pissed off when he <laughs> when he broke the game's record of Michael Tuck. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, fair play to him. Um, mm. 432 games and probably could have kept going, to be honest. Yeah. There's no doubt he could have easily played another couple of years, I think. Uh, I. I, I don't know if he's playing this season, but post his career, he was definitely playing local footy still with his brothers. So he was still getting out in the park every weekend and 
he yeah. looked just as fit as the end at the end of his career than he was at the um start of his career. We probably like, thought that um you know it was time to like an understanding that the club needed to go through a rebuild. Unfortunately for him, North Melbourne is still going through that rebuild and it made some <laughs> silly decisions. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably a good time to step away whilst he was still relatively close to the peak of his careers and hadn't completely dropped off the cliff. Yeah, so I, I know, I think he might still be playing local footy or if not mm. coaching or yeah. involved uh, because he made mention on the, on the coverage of the Hall of Fame the other night that uh, they couldn't tell his dad that he'd been uh, inducted uh, until after the Saturday, the Saturday after the game, local footy, because his dad likes to get on the beers and then a few stories come out <laughs> watching the game. So mm. they, uh, they couldn't say anything. Um, that was quite funny. But I mean, he's uh, to think of someone of his size and stature coming into the club that North Melbourne was in 1996, yeah, um, you know, with all the egos and, and big personalities, uh, and to win them over and, um, you know, fashion a career for yourself when uh, everybody thinks you're the, the local jockey. I mm-hmm. think it was Glenn Archer or, or one of the teammates, Ian Fairley or someone like that, said, mate, Flemington's a few Ks up the road, mm-hmm. come to the wrong place. Yeah. Um, yeah, those sort of stories are quite funny. But, um, you know, I think within three years, he won a flag, uh, won the last ever EJ Witten medal for Victoria. Still bitter uh, that they got that flag. <laughs> well, you know, if you kick mm. straight, you win footy day. Yeah. Footy goes there. Mm. So, um, <laughs> uh, but it's um, yeah, and for someone, and obviously we, it, of his height, uh, not even 170 centimeters to uh, mm. have the career he had. It's an amazing effort. Um, and I remember on the highlights of him, uh, you know, one of the commentary, I forget which highlight it was, just said it, just shows you that. Anyone of any size can play the great game of ours, and mm. he makes it ring true. That statement, yeah, so. yeah, um, amazing statistics. Obviously, as we mentioned, the four hundred and thirty-two games, premiership medalist, five-time best and fairest, four-time All Australian. As you mentioned, is a Witten medalist. He also won the Jim Steins Medal in two thousand and three, yeah. and captained the football club for three years from two thousand and nine to two thousand and eleven. Yeah, yeah. So, I think. Uh, as most of the Hall of Famers tend to say, you, know, you first get to your club and all you want to do is play one game and then maybe a season and then maybe mm. 50. And um, yeah, I don't think he could have ever dreamed that he'd finish out the game's record holder, that's for sure. Mm. And at this stage, um, it, you'd struggle to see, given the way the game's changed, you'd struggle to see anyone coming close to um, getting anywhere near that anytime soon. Yeah, well, I think uh, the only realistic chance would have been Sean Burgoyne. Mm. Uh, and he would have needed Hawthorne to um, to get to the grand final this year to be able to and play every game to yeah. to get anywhere close to it mm. this season. So he would have had to play another season after. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone who's high up in the in the games tally coming up. No one readily springs to mind. So um, maybe someone at Geelong because they're all old. <laughs> well, Selwoods must be close to 350. Mm. Uh, he's probably the closest. If yeah. yeah, maybe one or two others who escape me, but. Um, I can't see them getting to 430. Yeah. That's another four years away. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, and last but not least, before we get onto the important part of our podcast this evening, um, Matthew Pavlich from the Fremantle Football Club. Super Pav. Mm. He, uh, isn't, isn't he the draft pick that all Richmond supporters lament the most? Because <laughs> uh, Aaron yeah. Fiora, I think, taken mm. just before Pav. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, you know what a champion he was. At, uh, if he was playing in uh, Victoria, gosh, yeah. he'd be a mega star. Yeah, um, you know, people call out the six-time All Australians in in various positions. We always there's always conjecture about uh, some of the positional namings mm. in the All Australian team because they have to fit mm. people in, but um, Pav could play anywhere. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And he always seemed to play well at the MCG. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, anytime we played Fremantle at the G, you always knew that Pav was going to turn up and, and do something special. So, yeah, I yeah. think the interesting thing for me about um, Pavlich, um, superstar of the game, was that he didn't come home. Like he was, a, mm. um, you know, from a South Australian football royalty family involved with West Torrens. And, um, you know, they, they, I guess there was an expectation that um, perhaps early in his career that once his first contract ended, he'd um, look at heading home. But um, um, weirdly, his first contract was three years instead of the normal two. But also mm. at the end of that, he chose to stay and he had a stellar career as a one-club player. Yeah, and he's still in Perth. Like, hasn't mm. come back afterwards either. So, yeah. um, you know, I think, it's a, I think it's a great story for... For the kids who get drafted away from home, but you know, you don't. I mean, the pool of home would be strong mm. for everybody, let's be honest. But, um, yeah. you know what? You can forge a career, um, away from home, yeah. and, and, and get back later if you wanted to. But, um, look, what a, what a gun! He was a mm. great player, he could play anywhere legitimately. Um, I think yeah. probably the only position he'd struggle was the ruck, but even there, he'd give it a fair crack. Yeah. Um, and certainly when he rolled into the middle, you're like, oh. How are we going to get through this? Yeah. You know, so what magic is yeah. he going to pull now? That's right. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think um, an interesting quote for me that perhaps some other current players could learn from is, um, "I had a real dedication to the game and to my body. Jumping into the beach when nobody wanted to, extra yoga sessions when nobody wanted to, dotting every i and crossing every t when it came to ice baths and physio." It was um, using all of those at my disposal to get the most out of my body. Um, perhaps some of those that have just taken a week off to travel overseas to drink shots <laughs> and um, act inappropriately could learn a bit from um, Pav if they want to reach their full potential and get the most out of their body and the game that they enjoy playing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I reckon mm. uh, between him and, and Nick Rewalt, they yeah. would have compared many notes, I reckon, Yeah, uh, across uh, their both uh, stellar careers of, 350-odd yeah. and 330-odd games about uh, how to get up for next week yeah. um, because they, yeah, both champions. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great quote. And I think, um, you know, similarly players like Crawford and, mm-hmm. and Robert Harvey and, and these types who, simil- you know, with yeah. the training methods they had at their disposal during their careers, uh, the same thing, left no stone unturned to, mm-hmm. to get the best out of themselves for next week or next year or yeah. next decade, yeah, as it were. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. He fits that mold beautifully. I think the one game that he would rue from his career, though, is the 2013 Grand Final. Um, They kicked 8-14 and 5 out of them (laughs) to lose by 15 points. Um, He did did bring that up. Uh, He was interviewed by Mark Robinson and Kath Flocknan uh, during one of the breaks of the Hall of Fame night. mm. That was the first thing that he mentioned. um, Yeah, oh, great, thanks. Well, 8-14 and 5 on the full. That's what I'll never forget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so. Look, he, he says that it hasn't consumed him, but, you know, his mind does wander to it occasionally as it would, because if they had kicked straight, they um, 
and, or and not had some of them on the full, it would could have been a completely different result. Oh, I think Fremantle were one of those teams yeah. who were just unlucky to come up against yeah. one of the greatest teams ever. Mm. Um, yeah, we've talked about Melbourne a couple of times, 88 yeah. and 2000, with the Bombers mm. and, and that. Yeah. Um, Geelong potentially running into Richmond when mm. Richmond have been hot. Um, Fremantle, unfortunately, you know, ran into Hawthorne in 2013, who were uh, probably never going to lose that grand final, to yeah. be honest. And in 2015, the, the prelim, at Subiaco that everybody thought they should have won um, before the, the game started. And, um, yeah, Hawthorne just turned up and, and showed them how to play footy. And I must admit, you know, Pavlich aside, turning up against Ross Lyon coach teams, I always thought mm. Hawthorne of that era had a chance because we could defend really well, but we could also yeah. score really heavily. Mm. Uh, whereas Ross Lyon coach teams could defend extremely well, yeah. but scoring was an issue if there was yeah. a good defense on the other side. So, yeah. Um, I always thought we, felt, I always felt we had their measure in most cases. Yeah, um, I think also um, the regard that he was held within um, by other players um, is obvious. Um, you know, and also he's a great servant of the game. He served as the um, president of the AFL Players Association for a while um, yeah. there, which is no mean feat given that he did it. Um, well, well before the pandemic, so it was in a time pre-Zoom and people weren't used to Zooming, but um, you yeah, know, given Perth. that, yeah. yeah, from Perth, when the biggest cohort of clubs and players was on the East Coast, they thought that um, he was the best person to do the job. So that just shows an immense level of respect there that um, he was, he and the regard he was held in by other players. Yeah, and I think uh, the fact that, you know, five years out from his career, people are still talking about him as the man mm. as opposed to just the player uh, is testament to that too, yeah. so... Yeah. Now uh, we get to the important part of tonight's podcast. Do we have a uh, drum roll anywhere? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll see if I can come. I'll see if I can splice <laughs> in um, some, you know, some sort of sound effects. No guarantees. Um, the production values of this podcast aren't huge. Um, the budget doesn't. The budget might not stretch that far. We'll see what we can do. But uh, it is time to make our. Inaugural announcements, our inaugural inductees into the Line in the Sand Hall of Fame, dedicated to those who stood up for their clubs um, in the the battle round 11, um, 2004. I'm going to let you go first, Amos. Who would you like to see inducted into the Line in the Sand Hall of Fame today? Well, naturally, there's many candidates uh, from the brown and gold side of the melee shall we mm-hmm. say you could go with peripheral characters um you could go with uh peripheral non-playing characters even uh who perhaps set this in motion um but uh i think uh realistically there's only two players who can be inducted in the inaugural um set uh of this uh of this uh hall of fame uh player number one has to be Richard Vandenberg. Um, Well-deserved. Uh, absolutely. Uh, was the, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, suspended for six matches, uh, three matches for striking Adam McPhee, a further three matches for kneeing Adam McPhee, fined $4,000 for participating in a ballet. Um, I can't remember. Adam. I know we watched it in the summer because we did an episode on it, but I not exactly sure what Adam McPhee did on the day. To be honest. Mm-hmm. 
but he seemed to attract the most attention because of the suspended players for Hawthorne. Oh, sorry, of the uh, the charges against the Hawthorne players, his name appears the most. Um, anyway, Richie Vandenberg um, uh, definitely took uh, the halftime break uh, to heart and to take stock and to come out and fly the flag strongly, and he did so. Um, and uh, cost himself six matches and four grand, but goodness me, he'll be forever remembered uh, for that. Um, the second person uh, in, to induct from a Hawthorne perspective in this, um, there's a stiff uh, third member, but uh, he may well find himself there next year. Um, but could only be Campbell Brown. Um, for what has been described by Matthew Lloyd as one of the worst acts he's ever seen on a football field, um, I can't really disagree with that, given Jason Winderlick was in the hands of trainers when he was struck by Brown, who was suspended for four matches for the incident. Um, he was fined $4,000 for participating in the ballet and fined another $1,200 for wrestling with Dean Rioli, um, which is no mean feat, given Dean Rioli's uh, girth at the time. Mm. Um, he looks more like me, I think, back in the day. But uh, um so Campbell Brown is the second inductee from a Hawthorne perspective. Um, certainly took Essendon games to heart. Uh, was further involved with the Bombers in 2009 when uh, uh, Lloydie decided to take out clean skin Brad Sewell for no apparent reason. Um, and uh, Campbell Brown is uh, a well-deserved second inductee from our side. Well-deserved both of them, I would have thought. Yes, I think uh, applause, rich applause. Yeah. Certificates will be handed out later. Richard Goiter will come out with uh, with the, uh, the suit and yeah. tie on and the uh, framed plaque. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll no raise doubt. it. We'll raise a glass of champagne and um, a hold a toast for them as well. We shall. Uh, and pray tell who comes from uh, the Essendon side of things. Uh, I think the uh, first one is uh, rather obvious, and um, you did um, sort of, you know. Pre, um, pre the precursor for, for the announcement, but um, the obvious first announcement as an Essendon player into the Line in the Sand Hall of Fame um, would be one, none other than uh, Adam McPhee. He, um, like you said, um, you know, he was just an innocent little young player <laughs> just going about his business. Um, in a game of football who was uh, viciously set upon by a number of, um, um, you know, a number of Hawthorne players there. And um, I think he should be well applauded for um, managing to get um, Vandenberg, Piccioni um, <laughs> and Piccioni suspended Um I note that um, Barker was cleared of um, striking, but he was also charged um, with striking McPhee. So, um, you know, Clearly he's obviously he was smiling too much, yeah. <laughs> as was his one yeah. at the time. Yes, he obviously <laughs> um, pissed off a few people that day and um, should be rewarded and acknowledged um, um, for that. Uh, I, I will note that whilst he wasn't charged with anything, he was fined Adam four and a half thousand dollars for. Um, the um his involvement in the melee which uh, you know was one on the higher end of all the fines that people got so he obviously um Should wasn't holding wasn't holding back um during it he just managed to not be seen throwing any of his punches when all the Hawthorne <laughs> players were seen so he's he's done well there yeah, um, so hearty congratulations to Adam McPhee. yeah 
The second inductee um, into the Hall of Fame this evening from the Essendon Football Club um, is um, unintentionally, I would have thought, the player um, who perhaps started it all. Um, I'm going to nominate Mark Johnson as the second inductee into the Hall of Fame. Um, I'd, I, I, I don't want to, um, you know, push you into future nominations, but um, I'd suggest that um, I'd, I'd, I'd suspect that potentially um, the Hawthorne coach at the time, Peter Schwab, is a future um, potential inductee into the Hall of Fame, given that he um, told his players at the halftime break that he, um, or this is alleged, of course, um, but he allegedly told his players at the halftime break that he didn't want to see Mark Johnson walk off the field at the end of the game. So um, he became a target um, post halftime. And, you know, look, given the animosity in the game, there was probably some um, fair, there was probably a fair reason for that, given that prior to halftime, he did. Um, he did deck, um, you know, a player from the Hawks. So, you know, fair. A young player in yeah. his first season. Yeah. Second he, season, maybe. You know, so it's it's fair that um, that's um, that was um, pushed in his um, way. Oh, and I that's won't... why he um, was um, like, that's why uh, Schwab got himself worked up. But um, <laughs> I'm wondering if the Hawthorne players were so wound up that they didn't realise that Mark McPhee wasn't, wasn't Mark Johnson. Maybe they got maybe they got their um their blonde um mops mixed up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So but you know, that's that's a fair induction because mm-hmm. his uh his uh can I say cowardly attack on a un, unsuspecting <laughs> young young Hawthorne Ruckman at the time. Mm. Yeah. Um certainly set in motion uh some major events of the day. Yeah. And uh yes, still talked about yeah. eighteen years later. And, uh, uh, unfortunately, we talking yeah. about it. unfortunately, though, for the Essendon Football Club, um, you know, Essendon did win the day. They they won the brawl. Um, they had less players suspended, and they also won the game quite convincingly um, well, by seventy four points. I, uh, I think they, we should point out that the brawl occurred in the third quarter. How's this for a third quarter? Hmm. A massive fight involving thirty six players, potentially trainers and others, yeah. umpires around trying to get everything going. Nine, I think Essendon kicked nine goals to two. Yeah. So 11 yeah. goals, a massive fight, uh, and then a 10-goal last quarter where both teams kicked five goals each. So mm-hmm. what, a, what a game of football, despite the, yeah. the results from a Hawthorne perspective. Mm-hmm. And what a third quarter. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yes, but uh, unfortunately, um, that was the last time Essendon made and won a final in 2004. Um, yes. They haven't won a final since. Uh, they um, and in that time, we all know what's happened with Hawthorne. They, um, you know, Essendon won. I think it was the next game against the Hawks, but since by a couple um, of points, I think it by was a real three or four game. points, yeah. and then um, the subsequent ten were losses to the Essendon Football Club, and obviously um, Hawthorne went through their dynasty period for a while there. So um, look, it was a great day for the Bombers back there in Round Eleven, two thousand and four. But unfortunately, um, it might have been a bit of a hoodoo since and. Um, <laughs> Well, it's I time to that, break that curse going forward. I think the line in the sand was officially drawn. Mm. And uh, yes, it's, uh, you're right. It was uh, Hawthorne just missed the wooden spoon that year. Mm. I think they only won one or two more games after that. Uh, it was a horrible year on a whole host of fronts. Peter Schwab ended up losing his job. 
of course, we know what Alistair Clarkson did after that. Um, and as you say, the Bombers uh, struggled to win many more games after that. Uh, fell into the finals and, and tipped Melbourne out with a five-point thriller from memory in an elimination final. Uh, and then uh, we are now almost within 400 days of hashtag 7,000 becoming a reality. Mm, and I unfortunately, think. given the way this season has gone, um, it, it may be a little bit too close for comfort to that 7,000 <laughs> days before we get there. But um, See, my biggest fear is, is that next year you'll, you'll come good and be like you were last year and we're going to fall about 55 days short mm. if you win a final next year. Still mathematically a chance to make it this year? Uh, you are. Um, mm. But to get so close... And 455, that would be heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, this has been a special edition of the Line in the Sand podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please make sure you listen to all our regular weekly episodes. Uh, please tell your friends and family about it. Um, also, please make sure you leave a five-star review on your favourite podcast channel and like, our, like and follow our Facebook page at Line in the Sand podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Good night, everyone.